0: So starting in verse 27 of chapter uh, 6 of the book of Luke. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Verse 32. And if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high, for he is the king to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even, even as your father is merciful. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you again, and we thank you, Lord, for this time to open your word. We thank you for this opportunity to kind of silence our lives for, for a moment, Lord, and to be here, and to be in your presence, and to be in your word, and be with other fellow Christians, Lord, and Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have this place to meet and a place to worship you. And um, Lord, we, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who aren't here because of sickness or travel or other reasons they are not here. Lord, we, we pray for them. And we, we ask, Lord, that you would watch over them, Lord. We pray that you would bring healing to those who are sick. Lord, we pray that you would bring restoration to those who are sick. We pray for those who are away, Lord. We pray that you would bring them back safely, that you would watch over them and care for them, Lord. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters, our fellow churches here in Evansville who are preaching the word or faithfully uh, sharing the gospel there with their neighbors and their, their friends and their family members in the area, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for their ministries. Lord, we thank you for the preaching of the word that happens in all these churches. Lord, we pray for our, our, our sister church, uh, Grace and Truth Community Church, Lord. We pray for them. We pray for Kevin and Sarah Vance. We, we pray for their congregation, Uh, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use that church, Lord, to reach the the people around the University of Evansville area, for uh, the the area around Memorial uh, High School, Lord. Lord, we pray, Lord, that uh, that we would see people come to know Christ through their ministry. Pray that they would be discipled. We pray, Lord, that they would be encouraged and that there would be a growth in spiritual maturity through that church. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that this morning that you would continue to use us and continue to teach us. Through your word, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us, Lord, where we need, where we need to be encouraged. Comfort us, Lord, when we need to be comforted. Lord, I pray that relationships are started this morning, that friendships are started, uh, because someone is new that's come here. I pray that they're welcomed and and loved while they're here. I pray that again friendships were created. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Luke chapter six. You know, I'll be honest. This um, I uh, I read this on on Monday. Few different times, and you know you get when you read this passage. It, the reason why I read it so slow, it's it's kind of maybe you're so used to this passage, you use kind of the Sermon on the Mount, you kind of rush through this. You go, oh yeah, I love your enemies, I get it, okay. But like you're like, why well, don't I have to stop there for a second and really kind of eat into that a little bit? Like love your enemies, like really kind of soak that in a little bit. Um, and when you read it, you're like, well, I don't know if you're like me, but you really don't feel like you have very many enemies, right? You don't really feel like you hate someone that much that you would call them your enemy. That seems so old fashioned, you know, this idea of an enemy. You just feel like, you know, I got my family, and I got some people that I don't really like. I got my neighbor who like you know, never cuts his grass or like his leaves are always on my side of the lot. Yeah, get the- but not my enemy. I mean, I don't really they annoy me. I mean, they I I, I don't really want to talk to them, but I don't want to call them my enemy. Like this is just a strong word, but yet Jesus uses this word and when you read this, you're like struggling to go, how do we teach this passage without being, without kind of using cliches that you hear all the time when you are reading this or when you're hearing someone preach this. And uh, so I, I read it, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get the idea. I love your enemies. But you're like, what does that mean in our culture? What does that mean in our context? And you kind of sit there, and you're like, you're having a difficulty of really kind of catching what is Je- how does Jesus' words really in punch us in the face, right? And I thought about this. You know, what it would it have been like to read this or to hear this spoken if you were a Jewish Christian or even if you were a Jew or, yeah, a Jewish Christian, was like, and your family had suffered by the Nazis, right? And Jesus says, love your enemies. Love my enemies. I can't love the Nazis. They should all be wiped off the face of the earth. They're horrible, evil people. Or what if you read this and you were a New Yorker right after September 11th, and it says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We need to carpet bomb them. We need to blow them off the face of the earth. What do you mean to love your enemies? So I think sometimes we have to put ourselves in this mindset of what would it have been like to read this passage and you had real enemies. Like you could identify quite quickly an enemy. Before I get into all that, which is very much in this passage, um, one of the, the things in this passage, I kept on thinking of this when I was studying it, was family, family business of course, especially towards the later part of this passage. And I'm thinking about family business. Americans are built, American economy is built off the family business, right? You think of farms, you think of restaurants. I mean, every Mexican restaurant in town is basically probably run by a family. Or every Greek restaurant is probably run by a family. Or an Italian uh, restaurant maybe run by an Italian family. Like, our country is built off this idea of people coming to the United States and selling their food to Americans, or selling services to Americans. And I was thinking about my, the movie my big, my, my big Fat Greek Wedding, you know, with all their different businesses that the family owned. I think they owned a restaurant. They owned a travel agency. They owned, I think they owned, like, a dry cleaning. They had all these different businesses that were owned by this family. And I, I learned, reading this week, that a third of all companies in the, in the S&P 500 index are family-controlled businesses. Uh, and many are out forming their, their competitors because the sense of family ownership is very strong in some successful business. I'm going to kind of present a few. Um, if you didn't know this, Comcast, which I don't know if Comcast is sold here in the United States, I mean I, here in Evansville, but my parents have Comcast. They have Xfinity. But that's a family-owned business. It's run by the Roberts family in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And their business is worth $37.94 billion. Uh, we think of another company like... Um, uh, Coke industry, which is a family-owned business, Ford Motor Company is actually a, f- a family-owned business in Dearborn, Dearborn, Michigan. Their value is 128.95 billion dollars. I don't know if you know this, but Walmart is a family-controlled business. Uh, the Walton family owned uh, the majority uh, uh, majority stock in Walmart, which is worth 42 421.85 billion dollars. I mean, this is the largest. Family-controlled business in the world, and it's family-owned, and there's a certain identity that's connected with the with the Walton family when you think of Walmart. And for some reason, this passage made me think of family businesses. And last week we talked about the values of the kingdom, and you know, the poor and blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who are hated. We think of the values of the kingdom, and we are presented the values of the kingdom. But this week we're actually kind of talking about the actions of the kingdom. And give present a little context, uh, starting in Luke 6, 17-19, there's I, I mentioned last week, there was this great crowd of disciples who came to hear Jesus, and they were, Jesus was healing uh, their diseases. He was healing the disease of this great crowd that had come to hear him speak, and to hear him heal people. Uh, he was cleaning unspe- unclean spirits, and the crowd sought to touch him. The power came out of him and healed them all. Uh, Luke follows up that episode highlighting the, the heights of Jesus' popularity and follows these, this healing moment with teaching. He spends 30 verses of teaching. This is the first major section of teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. But he, we, we have a lot of stories of healings. We have stories of Jesus, uh, Jesus' birth. But we have yet to get a major teaching section in the book of Luke. And now we finally get one here here later in the parts of chapter 6 of Luke. So Jesus is healing all these people, and he's grown to the height of his popularity, and then immediately we get a huge section of teaching. And Jesus is teaching this crowd of disciples, and he presents an upside-down world where the humble are blessed and the arrogant are cursed. Those who are hated by the world are blessed and the popular are cursed. So he presents this upside-down world because To be honest, in the world that we live in, to be rich is to be blessed, right? And to be poor and humble is to be cursed. That's the way the world looks at it. Sometimes we look at it that way. But yet, Jesus presents this upside-down world where the humble are blessed, are favored, but yet the rich are not favored. Yet, this is not the first time the disciples have heard something unexpected and unusual or seen something unexpected and unusual, right? Put yourself in the minds and the place, the disciples, hearing Jesus say what he's saying here in this part of chapter 6 of Luke had to have been completely unusual, completely unexpected. And everything that they've experienced by following along Jesus and hanging out with Jesus has all been unexpected and unusual. So the first point that I want to talk about here is down the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole. Uh, starting here in verse 27 of, of, of chapter 6, Jesus says, but I say to you, I, I Jesus Christ, say to you, the disciples, uh, to those who, who can hear, which is an interesting little, little point that Jesus makes here. He, he, he says this little phrase, and I say to you who hear, but I say to you who hear, not I just say to you, but to those who hear. Again, as English readers, we could read really quickly over that and never think that's important. okay? He's speaking to people. Cool. But there's something significant in this little phrasing in this little uh, point that that's being made here, that Jesus Christ, I, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Living God, is speaking to them. Jesus, the, the, the name above all names, we think in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church. He is preeminent in everything. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, reconciling to himself all things by the blood of his cross. That person is talking to them. Okay, we can't just say this is a simple guy. This is the son of the living God, has authority and power and dominion, and he's speaking to the disciples. He is the one speaking. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His word has authority, therefore it should be believed and obeyed, regardless of the difficulty of the word, and regardless if it goes against the flow of the culture. Because Jesus is who he is and has authority, you should probably listen to what he's about to say. It's the first important point to make here. To those who hear, to you who hear. And so the unthinkable decision to follow Jesus. Like, this is, I think, again, we read the Bible so much, we don't catch some of these interesting uh, aspects of the story of Jesus. But think about these disciples, right? You think of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? They're in their fishing boats in chapter 5, and Jesus shows up, and, you know, he tells them how to fish, right? And, and so he tells them how to fish, and they get all these fishes, they, Jesus' great miracle, they started following Jesus, right? They left everything they had, and they followed Christ. They followed Christ without knowing what they were about to jump into, Right? They had no idea what they were about to get into. They just followed Jesus. This unthinkable decision to follow. They just followed. They just left everything behind. They didn't, uh, you know, let me sleep it over. Let me talk to my parents. Let me talk to my business partners. Let me talk to my, my cousins. Let me talk to all these people. and Then I'll give you a decision in the morning. You no, know, They quickly and, and unthinkably just followed Christ. So that hits the, the point. They went down the rabbit hole, right? They're like Alice looking through that hole and going, should I go through this hole or not? Should I follow the white rabbit? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should go get my parents. Maybe maybe I should go get my sister or my brother. Maybe, maybe I should let somebody else inspect this. No, 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 she just fell down the hole, right? Her curiosity and her, her, her desire for adventure, the unthinkable adventure, she fell down the rabbit hole. The unknown adventure. I was watching this morning, you know, the, the cartoon Alice, as she kind of falls down the hole and her dress pops open, right, as she falls. You would think that she would be screaming bloody murder as you fell down this hole, but she's like laughingly just floating down this hole. And there's furniture floating as she falls down, and of course she gets to the bottom, and she finds that door, the little door with the, with the lock, and the, and the lock's talking to her, and she has to drink the potion to get small, but then she leaves the key at the top, and then she has to eat the key to get big, and then she starts to cry, and it floods the room. We all know this story, but she follows the down the hole, and she, will, she, goes, to Never, she goes to Wonderland, and she, you know, she interacts with the caterpillar who smokes a hookah, right? And she has this conversation with this Caterpillar who smokes a hookah. And then he she talks to this cat, right? And this cat's disappearing. He's like different colors and it's uh um uh it's disappearing and it's talking and singing. There's all kinds of she goes to a party, right? The tea party, the mad hatters tea party. This is what she experiences when she goes down the rabbit's hole. These disciples literally entered into the rabbit hole and went to Wonderland. Like, they saw Jesus do incredible things and say incredible things, and what if they had not followed? They would not have experienced what they experienced. So they decided to follow Christ. In Luke 5.11, they left everything and followed him. In Luke 5.27, we have Levi, Matthew, who left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus healed lepers. He healed, healed, a, healed a paralytic man and forgave his sins. We have seen extraordinary things, they said. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. They literally, when they follow Jesus, they get this interpretation that Jesus is the the authority over the Sabbath, which made the Pharisees really angry. He healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples about Jesus' actions. Now, because they follow Jesus... They have these Pharisees that are grumbling at them. It's like, why would you follow this guy? He eats dinner with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is hanging out with the mobsters, the prostitutes, and the drug dealers of his day. That's who Jesus, the disciples, decided to follow. They saw Jesus turn water into wine. The hole just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Jesus continues to show them the marvelousness of himself and the kingdom that he has come to reveal to the world. I mean, they followed down, they fell down the hole and experienced a lot of incredible things. This is who Jesus is speaking to. There are the ones who hear. Those who hear, we see in Luke 8, 8 through 10, when Jesus is telling parables for the first time, he's teaching in these parables, and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you do not have the ears to hear, you will not hear. Jesus' words will make no sense to you if you do not have the ears to hear. Well, how do I have the ears to hear? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus' words do not make any sense to those who are not in the Holy Spirit, who are not in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 14, comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned only through the Spirit. You cannot understand Christ's words here without the Spirit of God. The disciples would not have been able to hear and understand what Jesus is saying about loving their enemies if they did not have the Spirit of God to reveal that knowledge to them. You may be one of these people who have read the Bible and heard sermons constantly in your life... ...but have never understood it, never been able to comprehend it. It's because you've never asked God for the Spirit of God to understand it. And you will never understand it without the Spirit of God. God's things are not understandable to the natural man without the Spirit of God. Listening, understanding, and affirming the words of Christ are a spiritual activity. It's a spiritual action. Without the Spirit of God, you cannot understand God's wisdom. God draws you to himself through his Spirit... Ask, and it will be given to you, and you will be given the ears to hear. If you want to understand God's word, if you want to understand Christ's redemptive work, you have to ask for it from God. You must understand it through the Spirit, and you will be given these things. You will then fall down the hole in the wonderful reality of God's unexpected love in Christ Jesus. Second point is the tales of the unexpected. The tales of the unexpected. This is basically the rest of the passage. We're going to spend most of our time, 27 through 36. There's uh, Robert uh, Ronald Dahl who wrote uh, uh, oh, uh, James and the Giant Peach. He also wrote uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, stories that you probably are familiar with, or movies that you have watched. But Ronald Dahl was kind of a, uh, an, a, a kind of a short story writer. He wrote a lot of short stories, and there were a lot of these kind of weird Twilight Zone type stories. Uh, or, if you've, read, if you've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you understand how weird that kind of story is. But um, so he was, a, he was a writer, and he, he, he was a British writer, and he just, and a lot of his stories, uh, Albert Hitchcock, actually turned into like episodes in his, in his show. They're just weird, kind of unexpected stories. And I was reading some of these this week, and there was one called, uh, let me get it right here. Uh, so all the lot of the stories have this kind of twisted ending, and there's a story um, about this, this man who was driving his car, and there was a hitchhiker, and the hitchhiker, you know, he kind of did his little hand motion, and the, the guy picked him up and, and gave him a ride, and he looked kind of like, kind of grungy, kind of, kind of homeless, and this, the story was called The Hitchhiker, and this hitchhiker, they were going really, really fast. This guy who was driving had got his new, his new BMW, and he's flying down the road, and he gets stops by the cops. And the cop gives him a ticket. And, uh, and, and so they, they have this conversation. And basically, this hitchhiker is called a, um, he's one who's very good at stealing things. Like, he's very good at sleight of hand. And so he's good at stealing, like, he, he literally stole the man's uh, belt off his pants without even noticing it. Like, he's just very good at sleight of hand. And basically at the end of the story, they're worried about you know, the cop's going to probably look in on him because he's this, he's this thief and aren't you afraid that since you've got to ride with me that you're, the cop's going to come and find you and he's going to realize what you do and he's going to put you in jail? And he's like, well, the cop will forget. Well, the cop writes it down in a book. How would he possibly forget who you are? How could he forget that he wrote us a ticket? And the guy, the, the, the kind of the hitchhiker, had stolen the cop's books from him why he was giving the ticket. And so there's this great unexpected end to the story. And so this tales of unexpected <coughs> that Ronald Daws would, would, would tell these, these stories that were the unexpected endings. And here's a picture of a fisherman who catches jaws. Uh, this unexpected reality of you didn't even know what you were getting when you pulled it out. And uh, so I want to kind of go to the end of this, this passage and then kind of work my, my way backwards. You have this, uh, he kind of ends here. Jesus ends here in verse 36. He says, actually starting in verse 35, Love your enemies and do good, lend to, and expecting nothing in return, and and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is mercy. So I'm going to start with that. Because I think what's interesting about this is that What Jesus does here is that he grounds everything that he says before. He doesn't say just simply love your enemies. He provides the grounding and the foundation to all of what he says. He says, you will be sons of the most high, for the most high is kind. For God is kind. He is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the evil. He is kind to his enemies. Your father is merciful. God is merciful to sinners, the spiritually sick. We see this. Throughout the Gospels of Luke, how Jesus is kind and to those who are sick and who are, who are sinners. We think of uh, Matthew, the, the tax collector. We think of the leopard, We think of the demon-possessed in chapter 5, verse 33. We think of Jesus' words in chapter 4, 18 through 19. The poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. We think of the shepherds. And the birth, the birth of Jesus, right? And the angels go to the shepherds of all people and tells them about the king of kings coming to earth that God sent the Lord of lords. He sends it to shepherds. So Luke has been showing us throughout this gospel of how God is kind to the ungrateful. God is kind to those who shouldn't be kind too. And he says, be merciful here in verse 36. Be merciful, for your father is merciful. So loving your enemies... And I want to be careful here. I don't want to present this sense of like Jesus is saying something moralistic, like love your enemies. And if you love your enemies, you will be saved. If you love your enemies, you'll be like, you know, you'll earn salvation. That's not how you should take this. I don't want to preach this sense, love your enemies and then end it with that. That would be the wrong way to present this. So I want to present this moralistic understanding and Because here's what we'll do, is is we'll think, and I think this is important to to remember, in Leviticus 19.1, you shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. The foundation and grounding of everything that follows should reflect the character of our God. As God says in Leviticus 19.1 to Israel. And when we think about loving our enemies, this is the sense of like, well, you know, um, the, the kind of phrase as a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Like this idea that, well, I'm just so morally superior than this person who has done evil to me. That's why I will not do evil to them, because I'm too good to do so. I'm too honorable a person to do something so much to then return evil for evil. To actually put this point, and lastly, the Greek philosopher thought this. You go, the Stoics believed, well, I'm just an honorable, wise, and knowledgeable person, and I will never be injured by anyone. No words will ever hurt me because I am too proud, and I'm not going to let their words or their actions affect me in any way, even though their words and actions have affected them. So is that, is that this idea of like trying to, to pump yourself up and saying, well, I'm such a good person, I will not return them evil for evil. That's not the way to, to interpret this as, a, as well. It's not good and wise behavior that springs from thus and displays a mastery over passions. What we have here is true enemies. People who have done things to... Uh, Two people that, that the, the natural response would be to retaliate, retaliate and to uh, seek revenge. We think of Simon the Zealot and the Romans. Simon the Zealot, one of the apostles, probably hated the Romans, like despised the Roman Empire. And, but we have to be careful with this passage as well. We don't want to globalize the enemies with this idea of like, well, yes, ISIS is my enemy, but I'll never meet them. So therefore, I'd never have to love them. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want to globalize this enemy and, and kind of put, paint this picture of these, of these people that we will never meet, never have an interaction with. We need to understand what is enemies as a local entity, that's something that we know, something that we relate to, something that we, that we actually connect or communicate with. Who are my enemies? And what Jesus is saying is not someone who's in your family. That's some, like, neighbor not some, like, someone who's different than you are. We're thinking of someone who persecutes you. We think of Romans 12, 14. Blessed are those who persecute you. People who do real harm to you. People that hate you. People that hate for what you stand for. People who revile you. People who slander you. Think of somebody at work who speaks behind your back. Someone who does something because they just truly do not like you and what you stand for. We're thinking of people like that. Uh, a, a good example of this that is really real and very raw, it's this in 2015, in June 17th, when the South Carolina shooting. Actually, it was interesting. We were in Charleston a few years ago, and we walked by this church that, you know, Dylan uh, Roof, who was 21 years old, he was a white supremacist, and he walked into a prayer service of um, an African-American church, and Emmanuel. African Methodist Episcopal Church, and killed nine people, right? We, we, I don't know if you remember this story that happened a few years ago. And the response of the people of the church is remarkable. Uh, this is one, she says, this is Nadine Collar. She was the daughter of one of the victims. She says, I forgive you, talking about the Dylan, the, the murderer. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her again. You see the, the connection there? We're not talking about some ICADA or some type of terrorist group you will never meet. We're talking about something real, something right in front of you. And she says, I'll never get to talk to her ever again, talking about her mother. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. Get that? You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Like, wow, that's powerful. This is another uh, victim, uh, Myra Thompson relative to one of the victims. I would like, i just like to, i like him to know that, to say the same thing that was just said. I forgive him and my family forgives him. But he would like him to talk, take this opportunity to repent. To repent, confess. Give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change him, change your ways, so no matter what happens to you, you will be okay. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Or these people are put in situations, they're not affirming the evil. They're not saying, it's okay to murder people. They're not doing that. They're not affirming it. They're not not saying it's not evil. They're saying it's evil and they're wicked. They're saying, I forgive you because God forgives you. That's true love of your enemy. Blessing your enemy. Praying for your enemy that Jesus says here. You're praying for him. You're seeking their blessing. You're seeking the good on them. You're seeking this idea of loving them. And it's just goes on and on and on and on and on. And all of it's rooted in the fact that God first loved them. And it's all kind of goes to this understanding of what your true treasure in heaven is. Because if you think your true treasure is here on earth, then you do have enemies and you want to get them back. But if your treasure is in heaven, as Jesus says in Matthew 6.20, then you do not care if you've been... If, if someone has taken something from you or thinks that they can, can curse you in some way, but your treasure is in heaven, you know that God will protect you. You know that God will provide for you. We think of Matthew 6.30, God so clothed, clothed the grass of the field. We think of Matthew 7.11, that good gifts come from God. If we would be first, we must be last of all and servant of all, Mark 9.35. We understand that we are God's children. We understand that all that we have is in Christ so that if something happens to us, if something's taken from us, we realize that all what we have is in Christ, which will never be taken from us, right? And we understand that our treasure is really in heaven, that we're really servants of all people, so therefore we can love them. And I think that's the understanding that we have to have. We can't just say, love your enemies. It's all rooted in what Christ did on the cross. It's all rooted in our identity in God. So this unexpected love of the kingdom of God is in Christ. If you don't have Christ, you can never love your enemies. you can never do good to your enemies, you can never pray for your enemies. And the great example of this is Christ on the cross. like Christ on the cross basically illustrates this whole passage, right He prays for those who abuse him right? Forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. He's praying for those, for those people who have struck him who have torn clothes from him. As Jesus even says here, if they take your cloak, give them the other. If they slap you on the face, let them slap you on the other cheek. Jesus had his face slapped. He had his clothes ripped off, and he prayed for them. He died for them, and he lent them grace. Kind of Jesus talks about here, you know, if, 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 if they beg of you or if, they, if, if, they, if you have to lend them money, that you know, the sinners also lend to those they love. So Jesus is lending grace to those who don't deserve it. He lends grace in Romans 5, 6 through 11 to the ungodly, to the sinners, to, the, to his enemies of God. He lends grace. Ephesians 2, 8, you are saved by grace alone, not by works, so that no one may both. Jesus is the great example of all of this. He loved his enemy. He died for his enemy. He gave grace to his enemy. He lended himself to those who were enemies of his father. Reaction to the unexpected love of the kingdom of God. We see this love is then reacted in this idea of striking uh, uh, taking away. The world hated Christ. He will also hate you as well. If you love your enemy, if you do good to your enemies, if you pray for your enemies, if you bless your enemies, they may react by slapping you on the face. They may react by tearing off your cloak. They may react in hating you in their, in your, in their response to the unexpected love of God. This is what Christ experiences, how they reacted to Christ when he was on the cross. They, they tore. They slapped. Don't return evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. That's what Paul says in Romans fourteen, Romans twelve. All what Paul is saying is all coming out of what we see here in Matthew chapter six. Do good to those who do harm to you. Live peacefully with all of those with all if it's doable. It's all coming out of this idea that because of what Christ did on the cross, because of our identity in Christ, we should love our enemies because Christ first loved us. You who hear and believe are called to express the same love. If you believe, if you hear... You have to love your neighbors because this is who you are. You're a son of the Most High. You're a daughter of the Most High. You are one who is in Christ. Christ showed the same love. Therefore, since you're in Christ, you must show the same love. We're sons of the Most High. Daughters of the Most High. Our Father is merciful, so we ought to be merciful. The major theme of this whole passage is sonship. It's, the, the love of enemy is the fruit of the sonship. So when you are a son and daughter of Christ, this is what's going to happen. You will love your neighbors as an offspring of what you already believe. We act like our Father. We love because He first so loved. We love like Christ because we are in Christ. None of this passage has anything to do with the way to heaven. It has nothing to do with the way of salvation. You don't love your enemies so you can earn salvation. You love your enemies as a response or a, 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 as a result of your faith already. That's, so when we talk to people, oh, well, love of your enemies, you know, Gandhi talked about that. I mean, Martin Luther King talked about that. We, we have plenty of examples of people loving their enemies. But never do we have this understanding, love of your enemy is not some way to get something. Gandhi loved his enemies so he can get freedom. MLK loved his enemies so that the Civil Rights Act can be passed. We love our enemies because we are in Christ. Nothing to get anything from out of it. Nothing to, if I love my enemy, I will get this out of it. Nothing is completely without any merit. We do it because we are in Christ. So kind of the last little implications of this. What is the implications of all this? The believers you hear will continue to see how far the rabbit hole goes. If you believe in Christ, you are... Christ's words call us to love our enemies. You fall down the rabbit's hole. You live a life that is so unusual compared to the rest of the world. You live a life that's so unexpected for the rest of the world. You think of the the movie Matrix, you know, taking the blue pill or the red pill. And you take the red pill, you fall down the rabbit hole. When you believe in Christ, you fall down the rabbit hole. You are going to be put in situations that the rest of the world hardly ever gets put into situations. I'm thinking about my own life when I was 16. I got to go to Russia three years in a row throughout high school. I don't know anyone else who got that experience. I've been all over the world because I am a follower of Christ. Because I've had opportunities to share the gospel in places I never thought I'd ever get to go to. I've done stuff that I never thought I'd ever get to do. I've done stuff that no one in my high school classmates had got to do. You just kind of fall down this rabbit hole and you get to do these unexpected things because of your belief in your following of Christ. Believers who have been touched by the unexpected love of the kingdom of God in Christ will express the same love in their lives. If you are a follower of Christ, you will express this same love. You will express this unexpected love of the kingdom of God. And My prayer is is that when you do share this love, when you do pray for those who hate you, when you pray for those who are enemies of you, that that God would do a work in their life, That, that we would see people that once hated us that we once now embrace because of our love in Christ. Like, that is the whole point of this. It's so that, not so that, they, that you, know, you get what you can get from this, or you can get, you can get a, a revenge on someone, or they, I hope one day they get what's what coming to them. That's not what we hope for. We hope that people who are in sin, who then react against us and persecute us and hate us, that we will once embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the whole goal of this. And that's why we do it. That's why we love them, because we we're in Christ, and Christ first loved us. And Christ died for us on the cross. We were once enemies of God. We were once enemies of Christ. And Christ died for us. We must show the same love. We're, car- we're called to carry on the family business. This is the family business. Loving all. Being servants to all. Being last to all. This is the family business. This is what we were saved and called to do. Was to love those who are unlovable. Those who hate us. We are to love to show the unexpected love to people around you of the love of Christ. This is our business. This is what we ought to do. We should go on the world and show the love of Christ. Those you work with, those you live with, those you live around, those you interact with on Facebook or wherever, you ought to love them as Christ loved them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what it teaches us, Lord. And um, Lord, help us to remember this, this, this major um, point, Lord, this major truth statement that we are sons of the Most High. We are daughters of the Most High. Our Father, Lord, you, Lord, are merciful. You are kind to the evil. You are kind to the ungrateful. You are kind to your enemy. You, We were enemies of you, and you saved us through Christ. Lord, may we reflect that same love. Lord, if we are in you, this is something that will be the, the fountain within us, that since we are dwelt with the Holy Spirit, since we have been redeemed by Christ, since we are being transformed in the image of Christ, that this is something that will well within us, Lord, and that will come out in our lives, Lord, that we would love those who hate us, that we would be kind to those who persecute us, that we would be loving to those who revile us, that we would love those who slander us, Lord, that we would show, we would show no evil in return, Lord, that we would love, that we would pray, that we would do good for, that we would bless those, Lord, who have done harm to us. Lord, may that be something that you give us opportunities to do this week. May you give us opportunities to do that, do that this month, Lord. Those that we've had issues with, those that we've had problems with, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to love them. Not so that we can get something from them, but Lord, so that we can, so we can see, Lord, how the love of Christ transforms the world. How the, the unexpected love of the kingdom of God, how it impacts. And transforms. And more, if they do react to us the way that we see here in this passage, they slap us on the on the on the face. They take something from us, Lord. May we give the other. May we not show evil for evil. May we show them continual love, and may that, Lord, impact their lives. May it transform their heart. Or may you do a work through our actions, Lord. We love you and we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.